This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, hoj här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson. Carlson, är så bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores! Carlson, yes. Carlson, Thank you listeners for tuning in to another episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the best fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys who own Eric Carlson in their keeper pools and in the cupful. My name is Elon Dubrovsky, and with me is my co-host and best friend, Brian Com. Wow. Well, I'm floored. I can't believe I finally, I, I sought that title from you for so long to hear you say it right here on the podcast with all of our listeners as our witness. It just means the world to me. Thank you so much, Elon. It's great to be on the line with you once again. And hello to all our listeners. Thanks once again for tuning in to another action-packed episode of Keeping Carlson. Yeah, I'm very excited. It's the second episode of the regular season. Last week was insane. We talked about way too many players, maybe, but it was so much fun just covering all of the young rookies that are starting, some slumping players. We we covered the gambit, and I think we're going to do it again this week. We've got a really interesting episode. I've put together some interesting lists, and I'm really excited to get to them. First off, let's mention we are presented by DauberHockey.com, the premier site for fantasy hockey. If you play fantasy hockey and you listen to Keeping Carlson, you should obviously also be going to DauberHockey.com. They've just got all the tools you'll need, line combinations, updated daily, starting goalies if you need to check if your goalie's going to play or not. Today, by the way, St. Louis is playing. Is it going to be Allen or Elliott? You know what? By the time you listen to this, the game will probably already have been over, but you could have checked now at DauberHockey.com. They also have articles all the time, analysis of anything going on in fantasy hockey, daily ramblings. It's the place to be. What else can I say? There's also Dauber Prospects, which maybe we can give a little bump. We get a lot of questions about prospects, and those are not our forte necessarily. We definitely defer to the crew over at DauberProspects.com for a lot of that information. So check that out, too. And by the way, it's Brian Elliott playing today for St. Louis, if you care. And by the way, I have... Brian Elliott in the Cupful. We talked about him last week. And for anyone who doesn't know what I'm talking about, the Cupful, the Keeping Carlson Ultimate Patron Fantasy League. I'm winning my matchup right now this week, 7-1. to one. This is Sunday morning, so I might just take a stronghold in my league standings. That's very exciting. But no one cares about that, Brian. I was just about to tell you that. <laughs> they probably care about our first fantasy hockey headline of the week, Slumping Superstars. Brian, there are some players in the NHL that people probably drafted in their first and second rounds that are totally letting their teams down, probably freaking people out. So we're here to tell you whether you should be freaking out or whether you need to just calm down, relax, and wait for the production to come. And we have to start with the superstar of all superstars, someone I feel like we never talk about on Keeping Carlson because there's no point. 
He's Sidney Crosby. Why would we talk about Sidney Crosby on the show? Yes, he gets you points every game. He takes shots. He does everything. But somehow this season, five games in for the Pittsburgh Penguins, Sidney Crosby, zero points, zero goals, zero assists, eight shots on goal, eight shots in five games. That's less than two shots a game. Something weird is happening in Pittsburgh. They can't score. We all thought they got Kessel. This is going to be insane. They're going to score so many goals. That power play is going to be so potent. So far, nothing for Crosby. Brian, if you're a Sidney Crosby owner, should you be freaking out right now? No, no, don't freak out. Don't freak out. Everything's going to be okay. If we look at the situation as a whole, like, let's zoom out away from Crosby for a second just to see that he is not the only one in Pittsburgh who is struggling. After five games, only three Penguins have more than a single, solitary, lonely point. And those Penguins are Malkin, Latang, and Kessel. And those guys aren't really lighting it up either with three, two, and two points, respectively. That's not just disappointing for Crosby. That's playing out bad for him and the team as a whole. And part of this is because of a terrible, horrible, no good power play to start the season. They've now had the man advantage 17 times so far this year and have scored with that man advantage precisely zero times. So this is not just a Crosby thing, though Malkin owners are probably marginally happier with their three points than Sid's zero. And just to really drive the point home about how rare this is for Crosby, his pointless streak is now at five games, and that is the longest single season slump he's ever seen. It's only ever happened to him once before in his career, and if he goes pointless one more time, that's going to be uncharted territory for him. So, you know, start putting your money down that Sidney Crosby is going to hit the score sheet next game, but don't blame us if it doesn't work out. But the most exciting thing about this whole Crosby situation is not just that he's pretty much guaranteed to score in his next game, but that this is like one of the few chances I think that anyone has ever had to buy low on Crosby. You know, he's at the point in his career where there are lots of younger guys who might be more exciting, the fantasy poolies, and, you know, who might be drafted a little earlier. Crosby doesn't necessarily own that fantasy spotlight as much as he used to. And maybe that's sort of impacting the way people might value him. So they see five games of a pointless Crosby, and for the first time, they might think, well, maybe this guy is just uh, getting over the hill already, which is not the case at all. But if you can find a Crosby owner who is thinking that, you need to pounce. The Penguins are going to figure out that power play, and once they do... They're going to score a whole whack of points and all will be well. Okay, so Brian, we got a question on our patron Facebook group. Someone was asking whether they should trade Jamie Benn for Sidney Crosby. And in comparison, Jamie Benn, by the way, who won the Art Ross Trophy last year and has eight points in five games to start the year. He's second in league scoring, tied with a bunch of guys, as opposed to Crosby with zero. At this point, if you had Jamie Benn, would you be trying to trade him for Sidney Crosby? I'll bet you the Crosby owner would take that in at least 50% of leagues. Yeah, I bet they would. And if I had Jamie Benn... It's something I might try, but what I might try to do at the same time is to get an upgrade on another position of mine when making that deal. Say, hey, look, I'll downgrade my Ben for your Crosby, but you've got to make it a little bit more worth my while and see if the owner bites that way. Oh, man, you're greedy. Well, I don't know if it's worth it to me to just do that deal straight up. I mean, I feel like it's probably a win-win in any case. But if I'm going to make a deal rather than just do it for the sake of making a deal, I'll try and, yeah, of course I'm going to try and get as much bang for my buck as I can. 
Right. Okay. But basically, you're saying Sidney Crosby, you still expect him. In most of the projections I saw, he was projected to be the league leader in points. People saw him as a for sure above point per game guy. He's got a bit of a hole to dig himself out of if he wants to do that. But we could also just forget the first five games and see how he'll do for the rest of the year because that's all we care about if we're playing head to head. You're saying Crosby is still, you expect him to be like the top guy in the league points wise or among them next week? Yeah, he's going to be among them over the course of the season. It's not normal for any team's power play to go 0 for 17. Stretches like that don't happen often throughout a season. Pittsburgh's having one now. It's not going to last. And while we're talking about Pittsburgh, we should also talk about how, you know, their early struggles have also been a curveball for anybody who drafted Hornqvist or Perron or Kunitz or Plotnikov, waiting to see where they would settle into the depth chart. Well, and Phil Kessel. Oh, true. And Phil Kessel. But as for Kessel, I mean, we know he's going to be a big part of one of the top two lines. And it sort of seems like they just don't know what to do with as many quality players as they have on those top lines right now. Before it used to be, you know, one or two guys had to do all the work and there was usually a third passenger. It's not the case this year. And I think they're just working out exactly how that works, because pretty much for the entirety of Crosby's career and Malkin's for that matter, they've been playing with two-thirds of a line and getting by just fine. So this is like a new dynamic I think they're exploring, and the guys that they're exploring it with, the list I just mentioned, a lot of people drafted those guys hoping to win the lottery, that they would end up in the top six, but we didn't really know where any of them would end up exactly. Kessel we knew, but guys like Hornqvist, Perong, Kunitz, and Plotnikov, they all seemed a little more tenuous, maybe Hornqvist less so than the others. And as for those guys, I wouldn't lose too much patience with them, especially Hornqvist. It's going to take a few wins in a row before that lineup really starts to solidify and we can get a good sense of what it's going to look like for any stretch of time. So don't rush to judgment on any of those guys, although I know a lot of them are floating around in free agent pools right now. Keep an eye on them for sure. One player I haven't mentioned yet is Daniel Sprong, and maybe we should include him in the conversation. He saw some power play time last night and looks pretty good with it too. Of course, the Penguins didn't score, but he did not look like an 18-year-old rookie while he was up there. Mind you, him being on the power play may have just been more of a message to all the other Penguins who are failing to score on the power play than it was like a promotion for him. But hey, it's worth mentioning that he did see a little bit of time there. But keep in mind, at even strength, he is still mostly playing with third liners. So don't rush to grab him, but maybe just keep him on your radar just a little bit. Wow, I didn't expect a Daniel Sprong mention this early into the episode. I have another Pittsburgh player, by the way, that I'm going to throw out there, but I'm going to save it for the lightning round. I still want to talk about some stars here. And yeah, you mentioned Hornqvist. He had five shots yesterday, so that's promising. You know, he's on the top power play. That top power play has to connect soon with Hornqvist, Kessel, Malkin, Crosby, and Latang. Another guy that I think is really interesting is David Perron, who started the year on the third line. You mentioned Plotnikov. Plotnikov was playing with Malkin. Everyone thought that was going to be a great breakout for him. He's already been demoted. I'd pretty much give up on Plotnikov right now, even though he got an assist yesterday, but only 8 minutes and 41 seconds of ice time. So I definitely wouldn't be hanging on to him right now unless it's a super deep league. And then Perron, he's now on the second line with Malkin. I remember last year when the Penguins traded for Perron, everyone was jumping to grab him really quickly because he was going to have the chance to play with Crosby or Malkin. Now, in our joint league, Brian... David Perron is a free agent, and we haven't even considered grabbing him. Yeah, first I agree with you that Plotnikov is in the bottom of that group, and I think a lot of us are waiting seeing on Perron, because last year, everybody rushed to get him, and if you didn't get him, you were like, oh man, I'm so mad, I, you know, was busy for an hour and didn't get there in time. But he was given, like, every opportunity to produce last year, and he didn't. So I feel like everyone's like, well, even if he does end up in the top six again, so what, we're gonna get more of what we saw last year? 
Now, I don't know if that's actually going to be the case, but I do think that's what's in my mind right now when I think about him. I feel like starting the year with Pittsburgh and being in training camp and being a part of the team for as long as he has probably will help him do a little better than he did last year if he does get those same opportunities again. But I think that's why there's a healthy degree of skepticism on just how valuable he is as a top six player on the Penguins. Okay, so to summarize, it's a bit of bad luck on the power play. It's trying to figure out how to gel with these new line mates, but you think these Pittsburgh Penguins stars, especially Sidney Crosby, will be just fine. So take note, and yeah, if you could buy low on Crosby, maybe not Jamie Benn, but maybe someone similar. Definitely one guy you won't be able to trade for Sidney Crosby right now is one of the top guys on Anaheim. Both Corey Perry and Ryan Getzlaff also have zero points on the year, and I think this must be a typo. I'm seeing something wrong here because according to what I'm seeing over on NHL.com, Anaheim has played four games and has scored only one goal? What? They lost 2-0 to San Jose, 2-1 to Vancouver, 4-0 to Arizona, and 3-0 to Colorado. That is insane. This is Anaheim. They were in the conference finals last year. They're a pretty decently scoring team, and it's always a huge boon to get on a line with Corey Perry and Ryan Getzlaff because you're almost guaranteed to get some points. So far... Neither of these guys have done anything. Ryan gets off 12 shots on goal. That's pretty good. Corey Perry, only five shots in four games. And this guy's supposed to be a pretty decent shooter. So I guess kind of the same question, Brian. What's going on in Anaheim? And should you be just as nonchalantly not concerned with Perry and Getzlaff as you seem to be with Crosby? The one goal thing is pretty amazing. Even though I've watched a fair amount of them play this year and, of course, check box scores every night, it hadn't really sunken in that they had only scored one goal this season. It came against Vancouver, and they've been shut out by Arizona and Colorado. Neither of those teams really known for their fantastic defensive abilities. But at the end of the day, I am not very concerned about Anaheim's long-term scoring ability, and specifically pairing gets left. They're not done. Everything's going to be okay. One thing to note is that Anaheim is the only team, along with Pittsburgh, in the league that has zero power play goals so far. Now, they've only had 11 opportunities with the man advantage, so six fewer than Pittsburgh, but they still haven't been able to cash in. So that is something to watch. That's a place where most players are able to get a couple points when they're struggling. They have not had the chance to do that yet in Anaheim. And on the power play, actually, I was looking at the numbers, and I think this is just an early season anomaly, but it's worth mentioning that Ryan Kessler is actually the team's leader in power play time on ice, averaging about 45 seconds more per game than Perry and Getzlaff have seen. But the same message with Perry and Getzlaff persists as it did with Crosby, and that is just don't panic. And I know it's tempting because of that one goal thing, but it looks like the Ducks are taking steps to figure out how to fix this. Perry and Getzlaff are now back together. They are reunited after having spent a lot of time apart in the early games in some sort of weird-looking line configurations. And if I was going to get more worried about one of them, it would probably be Corey Perry, who very sadly only produced two shots on goal in the three games that he played away from Getzlaff. But now that they're together, that is not as much of an issue. We should also keep in mind that with one goal scored, there are only three players on the team who have a single point. That makes sense. Yeah, so it's not like Perry and Getzlaff are just getting outplayed by their own teammates. The Ducks have scored one goal so far on 128 shots taken. That means that their team shooting percentage, it actually begins with a zero. Like it's 0.7 something. 
and that is not going to last all year. When the pucks start going in for Anaheim, the points will start coming as well. Yeah, that's pretty wild how they've taken so many shots. I'm just looking at their leaders right now. Jacob Silverberg has 14 shots, as does Carol Haglin. Those are the team leaders in shots right now. Getzlaff is third with 12. But yeah, it's, it's early in the season. I guess maybe we should do an overall caveat right now or just tell people like you shouldn't be freaking out too much early in the season, as long as it's not something like maybe the next guy we're going to talk about where their role on the team might be changed. For guys like Crosby and Perry and Getzlaff, it's not to say they're guaranteed going to be amazing forever, but you can't freak out too much after four or five games. Yeah, early season kinks, right? And we're looking at two teams in Pittsburgh and Anaheim that I am sure there are several expert predictions that had both those teams facing one another in the Stanley Cup final It's not going to be an issue for very long. They're not going to finish with a 0% power play percentage. And they also have too much talent to continue not scoring goals. Yeah, there might also be some interesting people to talk about on their defense. Like I've seen in one of my leagues, Hampus Lindholm got dropped. In another one, Cam Fowler got dropped. These were guys that were definitely rostered last year. So you need to be watching a lot of these Anaheim guys for potential snags off the free agent list or buy low candidates. Yeah, don't shy away just because a team has five bad games in a row like Fowler, Lindholm and Vatnin. They might be available in a surprising number of leagues just because even peripherals are not really coming from those guys. But they're all getting very good power play time and that will be worth something someday so let their owner you know be upset that they drafted them too early and then drop them whatever but you can take advantage of that make sure that you're not putting too much stock in another random player's top five games and thinking that they're going to keep it up all year when you've got some perfectly good likely 35 point defensemen available to you in free agency. And okay, the next player that I was hinting at, Brian, who I'm a little more concerned about, this is someone who, I know I had a feeling that you were going to say not to worry too much about Crosby, Perry, and Getzlaff, but I'm very, very curious to see what you're going to say about Matt Duchesne over in Colorado. Because not only does he also have zero points through four games this year, but in addition, he's only taken three shots, and his ice time has been down, and he's not on the top power play. It just doesn't seem like Matt Duchesne has been factoring into his team's offense. And Colorado has been scoring goals. This isn't a situation like the other guys I've been talking about where their whole teams are struggling. Through four games, Gabriel Landeskog has four goals and two assists. Nathan McKinnon has two goals and four assists. John Mitchell has four goals. Tanke has three assists. This team is scoring some goals. And somehow, Matt Duchesne is just not a part of any of them. What's going on, Brian? Should people be concerned about him? We talked about him as a potential bounce back guy who was once a point per game guy at this point it doesn't even seem like he deserves to be rosterable is that crazy like people have been asking us if they should drop Matt Duchesne and it's kind of hard to say no like I don't know calm me down this is one of those cases where I don't know if I can I'm gonna be perfectly honest with you I mean we watched last year with a bit of alarm based on what Duchesne was or rather wasn't able to do a whole lot of, which was score points. He was down to 55 last season. And then in the offseason, you know, I gave a few reasons why I thought he would bounce back. And I'm starting to doubt myself. I know it's just five games, but this is where even I am getting a little concerned. Because like you said, Elon, the rest of the abs, they're doing just fine. He's pointless in four games, Duchesne is. And he's just one of three Colorado players who haven't yet been able to get on the score sheet this season, along with two guys you've never heard of in Borna Renjulic and Miko Rantanen. But I do remain convinced that Duchesne's name does not belong alongside those guys. He's the thing that doesn't belong in that group. But the guy is going to need to get opportunities and then cash in on them when he does to earn more opportunities. Because right now, 
Most of his opportunities are coming at even strength. He and Aginla actually lead the team in even strength minutes played, but even with that ice time and good possession numbers, he and Aginla have combined to put just four shots on goal through four games played. That's together. So I expect they're going to figure that out sooner rather than later, or at least they should. They better figure that out because that's not acceptable over the course of the season. But where I'm less optimistic for Duchesne is definitely on the power play where he trails many of his teammates in time on ice. And we had this problem last season where he has once again fallen into that dreaded fifth forward spot on the Colorado totem pole. So if they're going to run a four forward power play, he is pretty much alone on the second power play unit. And that poses even greater difficulties when the current power play configuration is really clicking because Colorado leads the league with a 42% success rate so far this season. And that tells me that they're probably not going to try and shuffle anything around anytime soon if it's working out that well for them right now. So with Duchesne, what I'm looking for is that his five on five minutes, his even strength minutes, those stay up there. He's got to hang on to every single one of those that he can get. And he's got to keep winning possession battles. And hopefully he starts making his way towards, sadly, like I think 55, 60 points might be what we can hope for from him if he is stuck on the second power play unit. He is still capable of going on a serious tear. He's still a very good hockey player, but I don't know if you want to be ready to expect more than that from him. It might be better to just readjust your expectations at that point. And this is coming from somebody who has backed him for a very long time and still believes I'm just a little concerned that this might not be the right time for him still. Yeah, I mean, you have aging veterans like Alex Tangay and Jerome McGinla on the top power play while he's on the second power play. And this shots thing is just, I think, the most concerning. This is a guy who had 217 shots in 71 games a couple seasons ago. And like I said, only three shots so far in four games. Hopefully, Brian, you're right that at least he's like a 55, 60 point guy and not even less. This is definitely the first guy that I guess we're agreeing on that there should be some concerns. And if you have him and someone's making you an offer for someone good... Don't necessarily consider it the other person buying low. It might be your opportunity to sell. Obviously, it depends who you're getting for him, but you might want to cut bait depending on who you could get in return. Probably not yet time to drop him into free agency, though, in most leagues. Yeah, I'd still give him a little more rope. And I need to just correct something that I said earlier about him. I talked about his possession numbers, how he's winning the possession battle. He's not. He's getting crushed. But relative to his teammates, he's actually doing all right in terms of possession. And in fact, he's amongst the Colorado leaders in Corsi 4, so shot attempts 4. So that means at least that he's putting a lot of shots towards the net while he's on the ice. He seems to be putting up a good amount of those for the ice time he's getting. But they're just not finding their way to the goalie. So maybe he needs to work on his accuracy too. I'm not sure. But it would be better if he did do a bit better possession-wise while he was on the ice. And of course, put pucks actually on the goalie and ideally past the goalie. <sighs> all right, well, let's move on. You know what? Now I'm starting to realize maybe this was a depressing way to start the show talking about all these slumping star players. It's the number one headline. Maybe not too uplifting for someone when they're listening on their morning commute on Monday. But Elon, this has been our week, right? Like we don't get any messages on Twitter or in the Facebook group saying, can you believe how well this guy's doing? I'm so happier. What a surprise. I'm so excited for this guy. You know, we just get, oh my goodness, I drafted this guy too early. Should I drop him? Should I trade him? Is it time to cut ties? <laughs> yeah, it's true. Well, unless there are messages about Artemi Panarin. We're getting lots of those saying, oh, how that guy's so amazing. Thanks for recommending him. But okay, next guy on this list of disappointing superstars. Let's go to another guy who has zero points who we had high hopes for, Mark Giordano on Calgary. 
Zero points? Last year, he had 48 points in 61 games. The year before, 47 points in 64 games. Those are elite defenseman numbers. We expected him to be able to keep it up. And in exchange, he gives us nothing. And while this may not be a full-blown Matt Duchesne situation, there is a bit of a concern with his deployment. He's still getting a lot of ice time overall, but I noticed in Calgary's game yesterday against Edmonton, Mark Giordano wasn't on the top power play. It was Johnny Gaudreau, Sean Monaghan, Yuri Hoodler, and then Chris Russell and Dennis Weidman manning the points, which was very surprising. I don't know what's going on with Giordano. He seemed like such a sure thing. He had been doing so well for the past couple of years. It was only the injuries holding him back. Now he's got this new defensive partner in Dougie Hamilton, who we thought would be a decent replacement for TJ Brody while he's injured. But I don't know. Zero points. Very disappointing. And Calgary also, they're scoring goals. So it's just Giordano. Brian, what's going on? I think it's as simple as Giordano misses his Brody. Did that work? The like bro... Sorry. No, this this isn't your Carleton University radio persona. This is supposed to be your sports persona. Okay, okay, fine. He misses his Brody. And, well, okay, I should just let me calm down and say it's just not going that well with Dougie Hamilton as it used to go with TJ Brody. They're seeing lots of lamps lit against them. In fact, Giordano and Hamilton were on the ice together for four of the five goals that Edmonton scored against them last night. But at the end of the day, I still think that Giordano is a 45-50 point guy. And keep in mind that that's just a point every other game if things are going steady. So there's going to be hot and cold runs. It's no fun to start with a cold run, but I'm still confident that that's all this is. Although I know there's that little temptation in the back of everyone's mind saying, hey, wasn't Calgary really supposed to blow out this year? Like, wasn't everything supposed to come crashing down? And maybe this is part of it. Maybe the sky is falling and Giordano is going to get crushed along with the rest of the team. And I don't think that is exactly what's happening here. I think if Brody comes back and Giordano continues to struggle after, say, like five or ten games of Brody's return, then you might want to start getting concerned. But I still think that Giordano is easily a lock for 40 points this season. And if you own him, it's really just a matter of biding your time and sending TJ Brody a bunch of get well soon cards. Man, so Brian, Brody's still going to be away for many weeks, likely. And like, Mark Giordano is a guy that people drafted really high. What Do you really say that he's not going to be able to pick it back up until Brody comes back? Like, is that really the only problem? Like, it's Dougie Hamilton. I thought he's supposed to be really great. You know, maybe it is like a bigger team problem going on. The back end has looked out of sorts. And it's hard to really tell if that's a function of Hamilton and Giordano trying to figure each other out while they're on the ice together. Or if there's a bigger systems issue that just isn't going right for Calgary right now. I think maybe it's easy to think of Brody as the obvious fix and everything's going to be fine. I know that's what Calgary Flames fans are really banking on, that this is not a long-term trend. But yeah, you see, like, they look a little lost out there. The, the team does not look terribly coordinated from the blue line, especially when Giordano is on the ice. But ideally, like, in a perfect world, they will figure it out and make tweaks before Brody comes back so that Giordano can still succeed. And I think he is good enough to overcome, you know, a missing defensive partner and in fact, Brody was able to do all right without Giordano last year. Eh, not, not so much. 
Well, he didn't fall off quite as much as I think a lot of us expected he would. Brody right now is week to week, so I don't really know what that means. That could mean like two weeks. That could mean six weeks. We'll still have to wait and see. I just don't know what you're going to do. If you are in Giordano, you're going to trade him? You're going to drop him? Well, you could trade him, right? Like, I'm sure some people are going to be trying to buy low on him if we suggest that they should. So, like, should they? I think you can buy low. Just be ready to be patient for this thing to play out. It's not a situation or as clearly a situation like it is with Crosby and Perry and Getzlaff where, you know, they're forwards. They're going to score like a point per game for stretches of the season. Giordano, like I said, he's a 45, 50 point guy. And that means a half a point per game, which means that, you know, three or four games without a point is going to happen every so often. This is five games. It's a little longer. And there do seem to be other extenuating circumstances. So if you're ready to ride those out, go ahead and grab him. I think you'll be okay, especially if you're in a head to head league by the end of the year and you're in your playoffs. I think he'll be fine to help you then. But it's just a matter of if you're ready to be patient and hang tough with him through this time of trial and tribulation. Yeah, I'll move on. But it's just so surprising to me. Like Dennis Weidman has five assists and he's getting more average ice time this year. And I would have never guessed. I was sure that Weidman was the one that was going to take a hit with Dougie Hamilton coming in. If anything, Weidman is doing better than he's ever been. And he's higher than Giordano right now by a lot. But I'm assuming you would still prefer Giordano over Weidman if you could uh, make that trade. Yeah, I would still take Giordano. You're right. What's happening to Giordano is what we thought would happen to Weidman. Weidman's gotten off to a very good start scoring-wise to his season, but in terms of possession, he has not been off to a very good start, and nor has Chris Russell. And those were the two guys that we feared something would happen to going into the season. That might affect their production so far. They still seem to be getting away unscathed, which is impressive, but we'll see if it can last for another 77 games. Okay, let's do one more of these before we move on to happier things. Brian, we have to talk about Nick Letty on the Islanders because a lot of people have been messaging us asking if they should cut bait on him. Not only does he also have zero points, just like all these other guys we've been talking about, but he's lost his spot as the top power play defenseman. Marek Zidlitschke came in. I remember you said when we were talking about that acquisition that Zidlitschke would probably fight with Johnny Boychuk for that second power play unit and Nick Letty would stay on the top power play. That's not what's happened, unfortunately, for Letty owners. Letty is on the second power play. No points, only three shots in these five games, averaging less than 20 minutes a game. This is not what we were expecting. I'm sure people who drafted Letty were expecting him to be the top defenseman on a high-powered New York Islanders team. Let's round out this depressing list by answering whether Nick Letty is someone who we should be holding on to or that we should be concerned with and starting to consider not as valuable as we thought he would be. You know, Elon, I'm really a glass half full kind of guy, especially when it comes to some of these guys. So I don't know if this is really as sad as you think it is. We're looking at happier days ahead, right? We're going through the rough patch now and hopefully we won't have to do it again later. Teams are figuring things out. And one of those teams is the Islanders, except I guess that the thing they're figuring out is that maybe they want to use Zidlitsky as essentially their power play specialist. We anticipated him coming in and having an impact and taking some of the power play minutes away from Boychuk for sure, and then maybe Letty. But he is really just like their go-to guy on the top unit power play. Last night... He saw the fifth most even strength minutes of Isles defenseman, but he saw the most power play minutes of any defenseman. So he seems to be being used in a role 
where he is not seeing a ton of ice at even strength, but the second they go on the power play, they are trotting him right out. And I'm not sure what that says about their confidence in Letty or Boychuk to do that job, although those guys are getting time on the second unit. The good news for Letty owners is that he was not overly reliant on power play time last year to put up points. If you remember, he wasn't even the number one guy there for a chunk of the season, but he still finished the year with 37 points, 12 of which came on the power play. So maybe you shave, I don't know, five or six points off of his expected production if this continues, but he's still in a very good even strength situation, playing with Tavares, Strom, and Lee fairly frequently. One downside with him, though, is that he's never really been a peripherals guy. So he has low shot, low block, low hit counts for most of his career. So if he's not putting up points, then he's probably not doing a whole lot else for you. And that might exacerbate the situation if you are one of his fantasy owners. But I will reassure you by saying that as long as he keeps seeing the most minutes amongst Isles, D-men at even strength... He's probably still worth your while. Maybe not is that like number one or two demon that you were hoping for him to be, but maybe more like a second or third defenseman on your roster. Okay, yeah, so hopefully next week we'll be talking about all of these guys and how they've finally gotten their first points of the year. The Islanders scored six goals yesterday, and Letty was on the ice for almost 20 minutes, so you would expect that the points will come just because he's on such a great team, but obviously we'd want to see more so far. Sounds like Brian's saying, if you're a Letty owner... Hang on just a little bit longer. Let's see if he can break out of this. I guess the standard advice a lot of people will say is give it 10 games, right? If if things are still not going well for all these zero point guys after 10 games, then it's time to really start worrying. For now, it's disappointing. Let's see what happens. Let's give it another week or two. But okay, let's move on. I was next going to talk about some injuries, but I, I can't. I can't talk about something negative. Let's just go right to outjuries and talk about the one big outjury from yesterday. Nicholas Backstrom is back. And I'm not talking about the Minnesota goaltender. I'm talking about the Washington Capitals center. And he had quite the game in his return. He didn't have any rust to shake off. He got a goal and two assists. Two of those points on the power play. That's the Nicholas Backstrom we were suggesting to draft a little later if you could when the news came out that he would miss the start of the season. Interestingly, he wasn't playing on the top line with Ovechkin for most of the game. He was playing with Justin Williams and Marcus Johansson on the second line. Though I've been reading that's probably temporary and they're going to you know, ease him back in. But the thing is, Evgeny Kuznetsov hasn't done such a bad job centering Alex Ovechkin and TJ Oshie. By the way, TJ Oshie also had a great game yesterday. Good times for Capitals fans, by the way. Must be exciting. But yeah, Kuznetsov, he had two assists a couple games ago, but Backstrom is back. I would definitely not be concerned about Backstrom not getting the right ice time. I feel like this is only good news. I think he'll probably be back with Ovechkin. Even if he isn't, he's clearly capable of putting up lots of points. That's the key, Elon. Even if he doesn't jump up back with Ovechkin, I think he's still very capable of putting up a lot of points. And this configuration worked pretty well for them. I mean, it's only one game. But if you look at the alternative, if Backstrom is loaded up on that top line and Kuznetsov moves down to the second line with Williams and Johansson, they look a lot more top-heavy that way. So I wonder if they might try this a couple more times before just putting Backstrom back on the top line with Ovechkin. And let's remember that Backstrom is one of the most underappreciated NHLers out there, in my opinion. He does amazing things that he could do regardless of whether or not his line mate was the best goal scorer in the world in Alex Ovechkin. He's a very good hockey player on his own, and we saw him bring that to the second line in his first 
game of the season. And also, you know, who Backstrom's playing with at even strength? Does it even really matter? Because that Washington power play is so potent. And he is there on the power play. Like I said, two power play points yesterday. I believe Backstrom was one of the top power play point producers in the league last year. So that's really where you're going to get your money's worth out of a guy like that. And yeah, one of the top tier guys in the league. And if you drafted him a little bit later because he was injured, good on you. You're going to enjoy him for the rest of the year. And Kuznetsov owners, if you grabbed him, you know, we gave a lot of advice that said, why not grab Kuznetsov now, ride him while you can, while he plays with Ovechkin, and then move on when Backstrom comes back. Now might be the time to start looking at trade offers, especially if he is still on that top line. I mean, you are risking a little bit by trading a guy who's playing with Ovechkin. But if you don't anticipate that lasting for the whole year, this could be a time to say to another owner in your league, hey, look, I've got Ovechkin's centerman for now. Who will you give me for him? One player we should also mention is Andre Burakovsky, who was the odd man out in the top six with Backstrom's return. He got bumped down to line number three. He did see a few minutes up on line two in Marcus Johansson's spot over the course of the game. But I think when push comes to shove, it's Johansson's spot for most of the year. Although I could see them rotating back and forth. Yeah, but definitely you could see the hit. Burkowski down to 10 minutes and 44 seconds yesterday. So definitely not a guy that you'd be owning in most leagues at this point. Agreed. And Marcus Johansson is the guy who gets that power play one time. So even if he does end up on the third line, I'd still prefer him over Burkowski. And I guess since we're just beaming about the Capitals right now, let me also just mention John Carlson is awesome. The other Carlson, you would be just as happy or maybe not just as happy. That's crazy. But you'd be pretty happy keeping John Carlson if you couldn't be keeping Eric Carlson because Carlson so far two goals and three assists in four games played. Plus, if you're in a league that counts blocks, he actually hasn't been putting up as many blocks as he did previously. Like last year, he was one of the top blocks guys actually for an offensive defenseman. Only four blocks so far, but three of them came in the last game against Carolina, so we'll see if he can put those up. But it doesn't even matter, right? Because he's on this potent top power play, and he's getting lots of points. It's probably too late by now, but if not, try to get John Carlson. Like, if you could somehow trade Giordano, I don't know, why would anyone do that? take that trade? But I'd say Carlson's one of the top defensemen of the league, offensively. Yes, and you don't even have to spell that for me to agree with you. <laughs> okay. So let's get on to some bad news now. We had a a bit of a shining moment, but now let's talk about some injuries. And the main injury that we heard about last week was Logan Couture, who unfortunately got injured in practice and fractured his right fibula. And now he's going to be out for four to six weeks. So a really annoying and disappointing situation, I'm sure, for him and obviously for his fantasy owners and for the San Jose Sharks. But with every injury, there is always that silver lining that there is going to be a player now jumping into his role in the top six on San Jose, a San Jose team that's doing very well and also maybe into the power play. And when you take a look at San Jose's depth chart, it looks like Thomas Hurdle is the one right now playing on the second line with Joel Ward and Patrick Marlowe. And we were talking about before how Joel Ward was a guy to watch since he was playing with Marlon Couture. Maybe this hurts Joel Ward, but maybe not, because it looks like Ward might be getting extra power play time as a result of this. So, Brian, can you give us your assessment right now of the San Jose top six with Logan Couture out of the lineup and who you think you expect to benefit the most if you had to pick between Hurdle and Joel Ward? Well, Joel Ward doesn't necessarily need the extra bump, right? Like, he's proved himself pretty well over the first few games of the season. Even with Couture in the lineup, he had four points in five games played, a goal and three assists, along with nine hits, if your league counts those. So he started off in a pretty good situation, and it could only get better, I guess. I mean, four points in five games is not a pace that he's going to continue for the entire season. He scored almost 50 with Washington in a year we had like similar 
opportunities, similar offensive opportunities than he's hopefully going to get this year. So that might be about what you're looking at with Joel Ward. I'd say with or without Couture in the lineup. Couture being out and opening a power play spot for him, if he gets that spot, I guess just provides more opportunity for him to get to that 50 points, but I don't think it really puts him over that mark by a whole lot, if anything. The guy that I am most interested in in this situation is Thomas Hurdle, who is going to get the even strength time, or at least it looks like that so far. We've seen last year how they cycle between Hurdle, Nieto, whoever. We talk about this a lot. But Hurdle is off to a decent start this year. He's got two goals and assist for three points in five games played, 13 shots on goal. In the two games that Couture has been out for, Hurdle has gathered six shots on goal and picked up one of those assists. I still think he could be a candidate to see a bump in power play ice time with Couture out. But this could be a chance for him to sort of get back on his feet and have maybe a more stable top six role that he can kind of settle into and hopefully start producing again. I mean, I don't think he's going to be the guy that scores four goals a game once a year or even once every few years. You know, everyone got super excited when he did that in his rookie season, but I still think he has like, you know, 55 point potential if he can settle into a somewhat offensive role. And this is that opportunity for him. So maybe he gets a bit of a bump if he is one of the free agents you're watching in your league and keep that in mind when you're ready to make your next ad or drop. So if someone has Ward and Hurdle available, which one would you suggest to go for right now? You know, short term, I'd actually be really interested in Hurdle. But long term, I think Ward's spot in the top six is safer once Couture is back. Like Couture has gone, what, four to six weeks? Yeah. So it's not going to be terribly long. You're going to get a benefit maybe from Hurdle for that period of time. So for that reason, I would actually go with Ward because I will probably get a steadier, more long-term benefit from him. Yeah, fair enough. And also, let's just mention about Couture. This might be an opportunity to buy low on him if there's a frustrated owner. Like, he played three games in this season before he got injured and only had one assist. Maybe people were starting to be a little bit concerned about that. How concerned can you really be after three games? But now he's injured. Maybe people want someone now. They don't want to just have this guy in their IR. So maybe now's a good time to throw a trade offer for a Logan Couture. Maybe you could offer, like, an Abdelkader or someone who's off to a really hot start. Who knows? Yeah, there's still some leagues that have a woefully inadequate number of IR spots. If you are in one of them and you see an owner who is keeping injured players in active roster spots, that is who you need to target in a trade. Figure out what you can offer to help them out for the next four to six weeks so that Couture can help you the rest of the season afterwards. Okay, and next on the injury list... This one might be a longer-term injury. This might be a career-ending injury. Johan Franzen is once again on the shelf with concussion symptoms. He already missed most of last year with concussion issues, and we know with these head injuries, it's not the kind of thing that gets better. It kind of gets worse. So I'm not feeling too great about Franzen coming back, which is really disappointing. Poor guy, but also hopefully he'll, you know, get better and live a very happy life as a retired NHLer. But as far as the Detroit Red Wings go and your fantasy team, if you have Franzen, it's probably time to drop him. And just like we were talking about with Couture, that opens up a spot in the top six with Detroit. Franzen was on that second line, or at least bouncing in and out of the top six. So Brian, how does the top six settle now that Franzen is injured? And of course, Datsuk is also injured. So we don't know the full final story of how Detroit's going to be. But for the next few weeks, at least, is there anyone who's gotten a bump in their opportunities with Franzen out? The Red Wings have really been stretching out their top six so far. It looks like they're trying to make like a top nine out of it, but I don't know if they have the personnel for it. Like if I asked you, Elon, with Datsuk out, who are the first three Red Wings that you'd want to count on for production? Who would you say? Okay, well, Zetterberg for sure. And then I feel like going into the season, we would have probably said Nyquist and Tatar. 
But now there's Dylan Larkin and Abdelkader doing so well. So yeah, it's hard to sort of decide after Zetterberg who you'd want. Okay, but good. You answered essentially how I wanted you to. With Zetterberg, Nyquist, and Tatar, those are the three guys that you'd count on for production from Detroit. And they all played on different lines for most of last game. So I'm not sure exactly what the state of the Red Wings top six or top nine, whatever it is, is right now. With friends and out, I imagine that does make it a little easier to sort of condense and consolidate those players into a top six, or at least makes it more necessary to do that. I mean, you have guys like Riley Shane and Brad Richards floating around the periphery in Detroit, you know, trying to find a place to land. And Timo Polkinen, I suppose, is in that conversation too. And Franzen was also one of those players floating around. So I'm not sure that there's like a spot that we can move a Red Wing into now that Franzen is out of the picture. But it will be worth keeping an eye on seeing who's going to get, you know, an extra minute or two of even strength ice time and maybe a little bump in power play ice time as well with Franzen out of the lineup. One guy that I watched last night in the game against Montreal was Timu Polkinen, and he looked pretty good with what he was doing. If you remember, we were excited about him for stretches towards the end of last season, and he's still like a pretty highly touted prospect, a little overshadowed by Dylan Larkin early on this season, but I'm still interested in what he's been doing so far this season. He did see a little bit of power play time and looked all right with the minutes he was given. He could be somebody that steps up into a bigger role now that Franzen's gone. But again, I just want to really emphasize that because Franzen's gone, that doesn't mean there's a huge hole to fill because of how much the lines have moved around so far in Detroit. Okay, yeah, and for sure, Dylan Larkin has been the main story over Detroit. Like, he's now got six points in five games. He's gotten a point in every single game this season so far. So that's amazing. And we'll see how long he can keep that up. And, you know, someone who's maybe lost a little bit of favor, at least in fantasy, like we've started to get a couple of questions about him, is Thomas Tatar, who was someone that had that great breakout year last year. He only has two assists so far in five games. My impression, though, is that he should be a fixture in the top six, and I'd expect him to bounce back. Do you have any disagreements there? No, I totally agree with you. He had 29 goals in 82 games last year, over 200 shots. That sort of thing doesn't happen totally by accident. I think he's still probably good for 25 goals this year, and he'll get the opportunities to do that. Although he has had some ice time struggles earlier on this season, I don't think they will persist. And I guess since we're talking about Detroit, let's just bring these guys up now. These are guys that I probably could have brought up in the slumping stars section at the start of the episode. But both of Detroit's premier defensemen, Nicholas Cronwall and the newly acquired Mike Green, they've both been pretty useless in fantasy. I hate to say it. Both of them just have one assist through these five games. And with Detroit scoring so many goals, I feel like it's surprising that the defensemen aren't getting in on them. So do you have any sense, first of all, of who is the number one defenseman there in terms of the power player? Are they both getting equal time? And also, is there any reason to be concerned if you're an owner of Cronwall or Mike Green? In terms of ice time, Mike Green is actually leading the wings by a healthy margin at even strength and is also leading them in power play ice time. But the rub is that he is playing, for the most part, with the second unit. Last night, he did see some time with the top unit. They failed to score a goal while he was with them, so maybe that's not terribly encouraging for his future prospects on that unit, but I still expect him to get there. I mean, this is why they added him to the team. Cronwall did a decent job, a serviceable job, 
of being like the de facto power play quarterback. But now it's time for Mike Green to step in and take that role. And I think he will. I think they've definitely given him the reins in all situations to try and do his thing and carry the offense of the team. It is a little suspect that he has not been able to put up more than one point so far this season. But I don't think it's a concerning long-term trend. The one concerning thing about actually all of Detroit's decor is something very uncharacteristic for them is they are losing the possession battle consistently. You have Nicholas Cronwall, who, you know, has never necessarily been the best player in the league possession-wise, but he's always pretty good, and usually against the other team's top players. This year, his numbers are way down. They're numbers that you would expect to see from, like, maybe Dennis Weidman or Chris Russell. So I still think that something needs to be sorted out in Detroit, that they're not quite there yet with figuring out their system and how it's going to work. And for that reason, I'm not going to get too hung up on the point production of any of these guys just yet. Yeah, of any of the situations, I feel like this is definitely the one that can't last. Like, right now, Kyle Quincy has the most points for a defenseman on Detroit with three points. I have a feeling Cronwall and Green will both get their due just, I guess it's been kind of unlucky. Like in all the power play goals that have been scored, somehow the defensemen just haven't been a part of them. Usually the defensemen will get in on some of these goals and I think that the points will come. Though it will be interesting to follow if it's Cronwall or Green getting the, you know, premier power play time with the best guys because they brought in Mike Green because of his power play skills. So I'm surprised that they haven't had him playing with Zetterberg and his unit the whole time. I guess also it'll be so interesting to see what happens when Datsu comes back and can't wait for that because I have him in the Keeping Carlson League. Yeah, every piece of Wings chat has to be ended with, we will see what happens when Pavel Datsu comes back and we're all holding our breath. Hopefully it's soon. What's the latest prognosis, Elon? Well, according to Roto World, he's still expected to be returning sometime in November. So that's quickly approaching. And we'll definitely talk about that when he returns, just like we did about Backstrom. Hopefully he'll have a similar return like Backstrom did. There still are a couple of injuries, maybe worth just mentioning. Tyler Bozak is injured. Shattenkirk and Stastny might miss a little bit of time. But these guys are all just day-to-day, so not worth devoting too much time to, but something to keep in mind. Also, Tyson Barry has been suspended. So we talked about Francois Beauchemin a little while back having an increased role in Colorado. That will only increase, I'd assume, while Barry is out. Brian, just any blanket comments about any of those guys before we move on to a game of sustainable or fleeting? With Barry out, I would actually think that maybe it's Eric Johnson that has a better chance to really get a foothold in as being the team's number one offensive defenseman. So Barry sort of shoots himself in the foot a little bit with this suspension. And then in St. Louis, you know, we don't know anything about the outlook for Shattenkirk or Stasny right now, but... We did talk about Colton Pareko last week, who did deliver with a couple goals over the last week. And maybe this is a chance for him to step into a slightly bigger role if Shattenkirk misses one or two games. Like, I don't expect he's like a long-term fix, and I don't expect Shattenkirk's injury is long-term either, so we don't have to look that far ahead. But maybe if Shattenkirk misses a game or two or needs to take it easy for a game or two, Pareko gets a small bump. Okay, and with that, let's move on to one of the classic Keeping Carlson segments. The first time in 2015-16, let's play a game of sustainable or fleeting. And in this game, Brian, I'm going to name a player and tell you about his production, which is surprising either in how good it is or how bad it is. And then you'll say whether you think that his run of production is sustainable and will continue or is fleeting and you should be selling high or not getting too excited about the guy, not jumping on him in free agency. And I think we have to start with Jonathan Druin. 
on the lightning. I remember last year when Druin got called up, we all had Druin fever. And we started an episode talking about how excited we were that Druin was coming in. And he ended up having a pretty disappointing season compared to what we were expecting. And maybe that hurt his draft value going into this year. But so far, the people who still had Druin Mania have been rewarded because he now has six points in six games. And he's playing on the top line with Steven Stamkos. What more can you ask for? Brian, is this production, this point-per-game production of Jonathan Druin, is it sustainable or fleeting? I want to keep it positive, so let's say production from Jonathan Druin is certainly sustainable. He has looked fantastic on that first line, and if you were ever the sort of person who got excited about Alex Killorn being on the top line in Tampa, there is no reason that you should be any kind of fickle towards Jonathan Druin playing in the same spot. Ryan Callahan is still on the line and, you know, picking up hits and riding coattails, but I still think Druin is a big part of the offense that that line has produced so far. I think Steven Stamkos is enjoying having Jonathan Duran on his line, and I think that as long as he stays there, this will be sustainable. Not a point per game, but still a very good season. Probably the one you were hoping for last year when you drafted Jordan, and the one that we were, frankly, expecting this year. Now, the one sort of good news, bad news scenario is that he's not getting a ton of power play time. But the good news is that means he's been doing this all with even strength minutes, which we know is harder to do. So even like with a small sample of games and where variance is probably a factor in what he's been able to produce so far, I don't have any doubts that if he sticks in the top six, which I really truly expect him to do, he will have no problem producing consistently for the duration of the season. This is bad news for Alex Kalorn owners who were hopeful grabbing him towards the end of their drafts this year. If you remember last year, he was in a lot of free agency pools and picked up and dropped a ton of times, at least in all the leagues that I was in. So maybe that'll happen again with Kalorn as he gets promoted and relegated to and from the top six. But for now, if I had to choose between the two, it would definitely be Jonathan Druin. Okay, yeah, and if he's able to get these points without power play time, imagine if he earns some power play time. That would only be even better. So yeah, obviously point per game is not sustainable for Jonathan Druin, but overall, definitely looking like a 60-point guy, maybe more. It's very exciting. Next on the list, let's talk about Rasmus Ristolainen on Buffalo. And one big concern throughout the season, at least for me, who I had friends in in a couple of my pools, I've since dropped him in both of those pools, actually. So, Brian, you could answer if that is a mistake. But we all thought that Cody Franson was going to come into Buffalo, take the reins of the top power play. But so far, Franson has zero points, while Rasmus Ristolainen has three points in four games. And he has 16 shots, and he's getting the top ice time and the top power play time. So it's hard to ignore the fact that right now Ristolainen is the main defenseman in Buffalo, not Cody Franson. But Brian, is that status and his production sustainable or fleeting? All of Ristolainen's three points have come on the power play, which is very good news for him because it might maybe encourage his coach, Dan Balsma, to continue throwing him out there with the first unit, with which he has seen a surprising amount of time early on this year, especially with Cody Franson sort of waiting in the wings. Now, their overall ice time on the power play has actually been fairly even. There's been a lot of give and take between the two, but Ristolainen is the one who has made his time count the most. And of course, that's positive for him. What's also positive is that he does lead all Sabres defensemen in shots on goal at even strength. He has 13 so far, which is fantastic for a defenseman. Plus, he has added value in blocks. So is his production sustainable? 
I would say as long as he's on the power play, he can keep putting up maybe like a 35-point pace. Once he's off the power play, though, if that happens, then he goes down to, you know, I'd say 30 becomes his ceiling. But the peripherals that he gives you might make it worth your while. Anyway, the one thing that I want to reassure people who own Cody France and Elon, I know you've been super down on him. You convinced me to drop him in our joint league, but his on-ice shooting percentage at even strength so far... 0%. The Sabres have not scored a goal yet with him on the ice. And that is not entirely his fault. I'm not going to hang that on him. Maybe after a few more games and we see a bigger sample and things sort of normalize a little bit more, we'll see him start collecting points the way we expected him to. Okay, yeah. And to be fair, we dropped him in a pretty shallow league. Like we dropped Cody Franson and picked up Ristolainen, actually. <laughs> yeah. So Yeah, so if you're going to choose between the two... Choose Ristolainen for now because Franson just is not a hot commodity in a lot of leagues, especially because I think he was ranked like by the default platforms to be very low. So people might not even see him when scrolling through players. But keep an eye on who's getting first unit power play time. Whoever that guy is, that's the one I want. Okay, next on the list, I mentioned some of these guys in the lightning round last week at the very end of the show, but I think they deserve a little bit more time. Let's talk about some of these Arizona Coyotes players and ask if their production is sustainable or fleeting. So I'm talking about Martin Hansel with seven assists in five games, Max Domi with three goals and three assists, Anthony Duclair with four goals and two assists. Duclair had that amazing hat trick three games ago against Anaheim, Tobias Reeder with three goals and two assists, and 18 shots through five games. So I'd say these four guys, Hansel, Domi, Duclair, and Reeder are all players who were not on people's radars. Maybe Max Domi a little bit, but for the most part, we didn't expect much out of Arizona. So far, all of these guys have at least a point per game. I don't know, Brian, if you want to take them all at once or one by one, but I want to know which of these guys have production that is sustainable, or are they all fleeting? This is not going to be popular, of course, but I'm going to say that they are all fleeting. And go ahead, call me a curmudgeon. But I just don't see it continuing for a couple reasons. The first is that Arizona has not reinvented themselves as a team. They are still getting outshot handily most nights. They are still getting outpossessed handily most nights. And neither of those bodes well for continued production from any of the guys who has had success so far this year. And connected to that, you know, being outshot and still being able to put up the points that these guys have, well, that says that they are putting up more points than they deserve for the amounts of shots they're taking. In other words, they have a very high on-ice shooting percentage as a group. In fact, they have the absolute highest on-ice shooting percentage of any team in the NHL at this early stage of the season. Now, you might look at a guy like Martin Hansel and say, well, Martin Hansel hasn't scored. He just has seven assists, and that's awesome. And he's clearly, you know, not having a lot of his shots go in. But where on-ice shooting percentage helps you work through that is saying that, well, maybe he wouldn't have had a handful of those assists if his teammates weren't seeing success in their shooting percentages. So just make sure to keep that in mind. That said, Hansel is probably the one that interests me the most of that group. Oh, more than Max Domi? Yeah, and the reason for that is really just peripherals. Like, he's got the most face-off wins of the group. He's got the most hits of the group. So if your league counts those things and puts value in those, if you're going to grab one of these guys, go with Hansel. I don't expect any of them to keep up this kind of production over the course of the year. But it is really exciting, and we have seen legitimate talent. This isn't to devalue anything that we've seen so far. Max Domi has scored a couple nice goals this year. So has Anthony Duclair. They're getting dirty. They're scoring goals. It's great, but you just can't expect it to keep up at this rate, especially if they keep getting outshot and outpossessed night in and night out. 
All right, so maybe a chance to sell high on some of these guys if you pick them up off of free agency, and now people are feeling jealous that they don't have them. Especially, I'd say, zone in on a guy like Anthony Duclair, who has four goals on only eight shots, which is the most unsustainable. Also, his ice time is the lowest of that group of four, only averaging 12 and a half minutes a game. So I feel like if you can flip Duclair for uh, for sure 50 point guy, I think that would be a really nice upgrade. And also, Brian, you didn't really mention Tobias Reeder. He's actually the guy I think I might like the best. He's taking the most shots. And I remember last year, he was taking a lot of shots near the end of the year. So I feel like even if the luck runs out a little bit, he's still taking enough shots that he should be able to get quite a few past the goalie. Yeah, he has popped up on our radar before. And I still like him. Like, just because I'm saying Hansel's the top guy doesn't mean I don't love any of the others. Like, Tobias Reeder, I actually almost picked him up over Yori Laterra, but I took Laterra instead a couple days ago. And the shot count is a good thing to go by. You know, I talked about Hensel's value if your league counts face-off wins and hits. If your league doesn't count those things, and maybe Reader gives you the best chance of continuing to get value from him, even once the points start drying up a little bit, he'll probably still get plenty of opportunities to put shots on net. I'm also going to add something here. I think Yarmer Jager was doing an interview recently, and he mentioned how rookies and young players, they come to camp in, like, playoff shape. And they have their peak really early in the season for that reason. Whereas pros who have been in the league for a long time, like Yager, they, over the course of the season, build up, build up, build up to get to that playoff form and intensity when the time is right. So another reason to be a little wary of guys like, say, Domi and Duclair specifically, is that they had to come to camp to make the team. And that's where they focus their energy. Training camp was their playoffs. So maybe there is an earlier drop-off for them this season, while other older players in the league, like, say, Martin Hansel, are trending up consistently throughout the year. Yeah, that's a really interesting point, because also I heard some other interview, I forget who it was with, but the guy was saying that rookies don't necessarily know how to handle the busy travel schedule and all the things that the pros get used to, and so that could also be another reason why they might trail off at some point. And also, it's great that you brought up Yarmir Yager. We talked about him last week as someone who was doing great. And I feel like now we have to bring up his line mate, his centerman, Alex Barkov, because he's next in Sustainable or Fleeting, because he has six points in five games. And out of nowhere, he had two games in a row against Carolina and Buffalo, where he had six shots per game. And this is never a guy who's taken shots. So that got me really excited. Yesterday against Dallas, he went back to his only one shot on goal. But hey, it went in the net. So he's got three goals, three assists, like I said, playing on a line with Yager and Huberdeau. Do you think this production is sustainable or fleeting? I'm going to go Druin-like on this one. I'm going to say production is definitely sustainable. 36 points last year was fantastic for him. It was a good start, but we can ramp that up a fair amount this year. He is in an amazing situation, and anyone who's had the pleasure of watching him play sees how talented he is as someone who just turned 20, who spent his 18- and 19-year-old seasons in the NHL already. He's a 20-year-old in his third season, and he's looking like it early on. He's got a great guy on his line with Yager and another great guy on his line with Huberdeau. I love what's happening with that top line in Florida right now. I don't think Barkov should be a free agent in most leagues. And take a look at the bottom of your roster, because if he is a free agent in your league, he is somebody that's worth adding. Is someone who I think he can hit 60 this year if everything goes right. 
yeah, just maybe don't depend on him for those shots on goal that you saw in those two games. He's probably still going to be a one or two shot on goal guy and more of an assist guy while Yager and hopefully Huberdeau start putting in lots of goals. Well, Yager's already put in lots of goals, but Huberdeau will hopefully start scoring as well. Now, Elon, can you remind me who was our bet between? I definitely had Barkov. Who's your guy? Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Well, I had... The second line centerman, Nick Bjugstad, and while he definitely hasn't been off to the same hot start as Barkov, he does have three points in five games, which isn't too bad, but yeah, not as good as six points. So right now you're doubling me. We'll see what happens throughout the rest of the year. I still like Bjugstad, but actually, no, maybe if I had to pick between the two now, I'd probably go Barkov. So you're probably right there. I was just about to say, I'd be surprised if at this point you still like Bjugstad. Not to say Bjugstad is chopped liver or anything, but I think up against Barkov being in first line role, first power play role, I just don't see how there can be, you know, more than Yager finishing ahead of him in points scored for the Panthers. Maybe Huberdeau, but I definitely don't think Bjugstad can catch him. I guess we'll see. I really hope not because I need to make up for last year. (laughs) Well, I will point out, Bjugstad is on the top power play with Huberdeau, Barkov, and Yager, and of course, Aaron Ekblad on defense. That's a very strong power play. That's a very strong team. That's a very exciting team to watch. I'm hoping to catch them when they come to town. Okay, now let's switch over to some goalies. And we've got some goalies who are super hot, and we have some goalies who are causing people to tear their hair out. So let's end sustainable or fleeting. Let's first go to some really terrible starts for some goalies and find out if these terrible starts are sustainable or fleeting and i feel like we have to start there's like three obvious guys i feel like you could only do these three guys i'm sure everyone knows who we're going to talk about because we already talked about jonathan quick last week and he actually had a couple of good games since we talked about him so maybe asking if these goalies suck does do something to help them maybe our podcast does have an impact so we'll see if we can give that same impact to sergey bobrovsky tuka rask and Semyon varlamov Let's start with Bobrovsky. In five games played so far, he has let in four, 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 six, and five goals for a total save percentage of 835 and a goals against average of 507. Oh no. And of course, no wins. That goes without saying. This is a guy who, Brian, I think was in your third tier in the Schmore Goalisborg episode we did over the summer. And I remember people were really upset about it. They're like, why is Bobrovsky in the third tier? He should be in the second tier. And their reasoning was obviously because he had 918 save percentage the year before, 923 before that. 932 before that you know a just perennial all-star level goalie all of a sudden he's completely falling apart Columbus has totally fallen short of their expectations at least at this point do you think that Bobrovsky will continue to be abysmal do you think that he'll just end up being average or do you think he'll go back to being what he was in the past couple of seasons is this abomination of a start for Bobrovsky sustainable or fleeting So we had one of our patrons bring this up in the Facebook group. And actually, sorry, we had like 30 patrons bring this up in the Facebook group. But one patron in particular, and I'm sorry, I can't remember who it was, but shout out to you. I tried searching for the thread and couldn't find it. But that person (laughs) said that Bobrovsky is a slow starter. And when I see that, I'm like, uh... Okay, I kind of roll my eyes a little bit. I'm like, well, slow starter. You know, has anybody actually looked into this? So I said, fine, I'm going to do the work. And I went... And it checked out. Bobrovsky has had awful starts to the season. In October and November, his save percentage has been consistently very, very poor. It was 9.07 last year. And I think that was one of the better years for him in October, November. In the lockout shortened year for January, February, those were the first two months of the season. And it was even bad then. So I don't know if he's the kind of guy who needs some time to get warmed up. But I'm not ready to give up on him. Although this is the reason why I did have him in my third tier. Not to thump my chest or anything. 
but I wasn't as convinced about Columbus as a team as everybody else seemed to want to give them credit for based on, like, I don't know, just acquiring Brandon Saad. I wasn't really sure exactly what the huge turnover was that was going to change Columbus from, you know, a playoff contender without home ice to like a surefire home ice playoff team. In any case, I don't necessarily think that it's going to be this bad for Columbus all season, and it's definitely not going to be this bad for Bobrovsky all season. His lack of success will be fleeting. He will be able to put up good personal numbers and hopefully he'll be able to earn his team some wins. Hopefully the team in front of him does figure it out a little bit. They have looked fairly confused in a lot of their time on the ice so far this season. There are already rumors swirling of a coaching change, so we'll have to wait another like five or ten games to see how things are going to shake out in Columbus, but you've got to give Bob at least until December. You've got to hang on, bide your time. Hopefully you have one or two other goalies that you can play in the meantime, or maybe you can make a play to buy low on Bob. I don't expect him or Columbus to be this bad all season long. Okay, and pretty much the same question, almost the exact same scenario. We've got Tuka Rask in Boston, maybe a team that people had even lower expectations for, but maybe Rask was a goalie people had higher expectations for, so it evens out. Rask finally got a win yesterday against Arizona, and I was watching that game, and Rask looked really good after two periods. I was thinking, all right, finally a quality start for Tuka Rask. Unfortunately, then he fell apart in the third period, let in a couple of quick goals, and ended the game with only an 870 save percentage, but hey, the Bruins got the win, so at least there's that. At least there's the fact that the Bruins are able to get a win, which means Rask gets a win. Of course, it's against Arizona, but Brian, overall, Rask, almost similar numbers to Bobrovsky, an 851 save percentage, a 429 goals against average. Is this debauchery sustainable or fleeting? I also have to think that this is fleeting, but I know how painful it's going to be for anyone who owns Rask. As a Rask owner last season, it was a really tough two, three months to begin the season. The Bruins did not look good on defense. They had just lost Boychuk. They didn't seem to know what to do anymore. And then eventually, the Bruins didn't necessarily figure out their game, but Rask figured out his. And he was able to earn some wins completely on his own. And that's the difference, I think, between Rask and Bob. Bob can do it every now and again, but Rask is another level of starter. He's able to win games consistently on his own and that's what you're going to have to hope for if you own him this year because Boston is in even worse defensive shape this year than they were last year it's obviously going to take some time to sort things out and figure out who is capable of doing what on that blue line and then making sure they're in the right spot that serves the team in the best possible way and that's the optimistic look to think that they actually do have the personnel already on their team or in their system to fill a competent NHL blue line But in any case, I'm not even overly concerned about it. If they can just play like a mediocre brand of defense, I think that'll be enough for Rask to still put up very good numbers. He might not be able to pick up as many wins as you were hoping he would, but we've known that for a couple years, that that could possibly be the case. As hard as it's going to be to sit through and keep starting Rask and have him blow up your numbers time after time, it's going to pay off in the end. I can all but guarantee it. Oh boy, that's like really sticking my neck out there, but... Yeah, you've been sticking your neck out a lot this episode, I feel like. You're saying a lot of these slumping players, you're pretty much saying all of them, well, almost all of them, I feel like you're saying they're going to be just fine. Now you're adding Rask and Bobrovsky to the list. With with the caveat that wins might be harder to come by, right? Like, wins are going to be tough for them. I still count on them to put up good save percentages, but again, if they have like really porous defense in front of them, then even with good save percentage, I suppose their goals against average would not necessarily be as good as it has been in previous years so maybe that's something to watch for but I can still I can count 
on Rask to put up a really great save percentage, stop most of the shots he sees, even if he's just getting shelled. Well, in the last game against Arizona, he only had 23 shots against. Like, Boston didn't have such bad defense. It was just Rask could only stop 20 of them. But I guess it's early in the season, and I hope you're right that he'll be able to figure it out because so far, he hasn't even been taking in too many shots. Like, the game against Tampa Bay, he had 23 shots against and let in six goals. So, just saying, it's not (laughs) only the Boston defense. It's Tuka Rask sucking. Are you sure? Were all the goals his fault? Oh, I don't know. Of course, I'm just looking at the numbers here. I only watched the game yesterday, but I'm just saying that... Uh, it's not as if they're letting in so many shots. Like He hasn't been getting shelled, like you said. It's just that he hasn't been able to stop the shots that have been coming. Yeah, but from what I've seen, he's been hung out to dry several times. Like, let's not forget that it does matter, you know, what kind of opportunity is being allowed. If you give up 40, you know, floaters from the blue line, it's not a huge deal. But if you give up 20 shots on, like, odd man rushes, then you're going to feel it a little more. Yeah, for sure. All right, and the last goalie in that list, Semyon Varlamov. This is a guy who's had a save percentage above 920 in his last two seasons, even last season, on a pretty bad Colorado team. He had a 921 save percentage. So far this year, in three games played, he has an 841 and a 507 goals against average. Same story as the last two, sustainable or fleeting. Well, you know, there is that obvious thing where you say, well, Colorado is once again one of the poorest teams in terms of getting hemmed into their own zone and just having teams just shell them completely. And Varlamov has been able to withstand that. And you have to think he's still got that in him. But if I wanted to be like a bit of an S disturber here, I would take a look at Red Obera, who has stopped 100% of the shots he's faced through two appearances in 82 minutes. This season. So if Red Obero can stop 100% of the shots, why should Varlamov be all the way down? Is it because Varlamov's worse? No. Okay, I'll stop the whole charade now. Varlamov is going to be okay. He's going to be an above average goalie. Again, these teams that are just still trying to figure out what's happening on defense and how to get things together, especially in Colorado, where I feel like, I don't know, they never really quite look like they know exactly what they're doing and that they're using their personnel in the best way. But that's something that Varlamov has been able to overcome in the past and not to be boring and say the same thing as the other two goalies. But I do have faith that he's going to be able to overcome that again. Yeah. And again, I agree with you, Brian. I was just kind of stirring things up with Tuka Rask. It's only a couple weeks into the season. It would be crazy to dump guys like Bobrovsky, Rask, and Varlamov for nothing, or for like Michael Neuwirth, who had a couple of shutouts, who I guess we should get to in a second. But like, you know, if it's 10 games into the year, and we're still seeing these horribly low save percentages, then we have to start asking why this is happening. But anything could happen in such a small sample size. And I agree. Overall, maybe it's just an opportunity to buy low on these goalies. If you could go after one of these goalies right now, Brian, who would it be? Uh, That's a tough one. If you're looking for wins... I would probably stick with Bob, but if you're just looking for individual numbers, I would go for Rask. And if you're looking for a guy who has potential to get injured on and off through the season, then why not go for Varlamov? (laughs) You know, I should point out that Patrick Waugh is an interesting guy, and Red Obero is actually playing now for his second straight game. Maybe it's for good reason if Barra got a shutout, but Barra's going to be playing today against the Kings. That should be a very interesting game. The Kings are having trouble scoring, and Barra might just have an opportunity to have another great game and keep Varlamov out of the net for longer. So that'll be fun to watch. Seems to me like the perfect storm for both sort of situations to right themselves and go exactly the way we would expect them to. Ah, so you're expecting a big game for the Kings offense today. Anyone playing daily fantasy can take note. And well, they'll have to go back in time to do it. 
Well, it depends when I can get this episode out. The game's not till 10. It's right now noon on Sunday, so I've got a big job ahead of me because this has been a long episode. But okay, I just want to do one more sustainable or fleeting before we end this segment. Really quickly, I brought him up, Michael Neuverth. It seems like old news already that he's put up two straight shutouts, but that's just because the Philadelphia Flyers haven't played for quite a few days and they're not still going to play until next Tuesday. It's been a long time off, but let's not forget that he shut out the Panthers with 31 saves and he shut out the Blackhawks with 30 saves all while Steve Mason has been out of action for personal reasons. I'd expect Mason to come back soon, but at the same time, is he going to get in the net with Neuverth playing like this? And is Neuverth's production sustainable or fleeting? I guess it's like a double question. It's like, how good is Neuverth? And also, how badly does this hurt Mason, if at all? We've seen flashes before from Neuverth. He did really well when he was in Washington for little bits at a time. If you remember way back, they had to decide between Neuverth and Varlamov. And at the end of that, they actually chose Holtby, so maybe that's not too relevant an example to cite. If you look at what Neuverth was able to do with Buffalo last year, though, he played 27 games there, and he stopped 91.8% of the shots for a 918 save percentage, in other words, which is pretty impressive, although when you face the volume of shots that he was facing, you'll have the opportunity to make amends for any goal that goes in that's a softy very, very quickly. He's a 913 over the course of his career, though, and that's about where I'd figure him in in Philly. I mean, the thing in Philly, and I think we've said this before, is that Steve Mason is still the guy there. There's no doubt about it to me, unless, like, there's something more sinister happening with these personal matters, which we won't, you know, speculate or delve into at all. But Neuverth is at least a stronger contender to the number one position than Ray Emery was. So for the first time in a while, Steve Mason is going to get pushed, and this just sort of maybe turns up the heat a little bit on him. I think they give Mason the net once he's back with the team, and then they give him several games to work out his business and get better and, you know, shake off whatever rust there might be. But Neuverth is maybe a little more waiting in the wings. Like, this is maybe the first time in a few years that we're looking at that Philly backup as, like, maybe a deep number three goalie option. And hey, you could do worse than Neuwirth if you're looking for goalie starts right now. Right. So basically, you're saying people should not be jumping to drop Rask, Bobrovsky, or Varlamov for Neuwirth at this point. Oh, no, absolutely not. If you have Neuwirth and you want to try and buy low on the other guys, then by all means, that would be amazing. It would probably be vetoed. But yeah, I would definitely not want to be on the other side of that, where I'm dropping a goalie who is established and on a team that's probably going to win more than Philadelphia this year for, you know, someone who will all but certainly be a number two goalie for the duration of the year. Yeah, maybe a more interesting trade offer would be if you have Neuverth and someone else has Mason, why not try to offer Neuverth for Mason? Because Mason played in a couple of games before he left for these personal reasons, and he has an 825 save percentage, 612 goals against average, so, you know, just horrible. But he led in four goals against Florida on eight shots, so something was wrong in that game. I can't imagine he's like that, so maybe you could turn your Philadelphia Flyers backup into a Philadelphia Flyers starter. Now, that's an interesting thought, and I would absolutely, if I was Neuverth owner, Even if I thought, well, he might still have another five starts left in him and he might still do pretty well in them, I would try and make that play anyway, bite the short-term bullet and hope for long-term gain. Okay, Brian, this has been another mega episode. I wasn't planning for this one to be that long, but, you know, as I was writing up the plan for the episode yesterday, there's just, there were so many guys I wanted to talk about, but here we are. I guess we need to be approaching the end. We've got a little bit of a lightning round we want to present. Before that, let's quickly take a moment to thank the patrons of Keeping Carlson. 
for supporting the show. We've got a great group of supporters that are donating $5 a month and are participating in our patron-only Facebook group, which is amazing. We talk about it every week, but it's just the busiest thing. Last night, I think I spent like two hours before I went to bed just going through and responding to all of the comments on Facebook. I'm probably exaggerating a little bit, but it felt like that. It was just so much going on, but they're also interesting and you all want to give the best answers possible. And Brian and I are always there trying to give our opinion as well as all the other patrons. So it's a really great community and we want to thank the patrons for being a part of it and of course for supporting the podcast. Also, we have a patron cast coming up on Tuesday. Reminder for the patrons. And the last patron cast was really wild. We were live on Spreecast and they were asking questions. We were answering and there was a fun chat going on. It's a great time. So it's not too late. You could sign up to be a patron if you're not one by going to keepingcarlson.com slash patron. You get all the information there. And I want to just say thank you once again to the people who are supporting the show, including Michael Rocklitz, who signed up last week, and Matt Donlevy, who's been a patron for a little while, but he sent us a really cool song, which we're going to be playing at the end of the show. So thanks, Matt, for that, and I'll bring that up in a little bit. But yeah, keepingcarlson.com slash patron. Whether you're doing it to support the show and the Facebook group is like a side perk or you're doing it for the Facebook group and supporting the show is a side perk. We don't care about your primary purpose for helping the show continue. We're on for this season in large part thanks to the support that we get from our patrons. We really, really appreciate it and we'd love if you hopped on board. If you like what you're hearing right now and you think it's worth a buck, then why not head over to our page over at keepingcarlson.com slash patron, pledge $5, and then each episode you hear, it's like a buck and a quarter. And like Elon said, you'll get that live show, you'll get access to the Facebook group. And we also have this DraftKings League that we should probably mention, Elon, on the show, where Keeping Carlson listeners can compete against each other in the daily fantasy sports format. We have one of our patrons organizing and rounding up everything. In fact, you don't even need to be a patron to participate. If you want to check it out, just look for the league on Facebook. It's called Keeping Carlson Draft Kings League, and it's a group I think you might have to ask permission to join, but you will be accepted into the group, and then you can find out about the contests that are going on amongst KK listeners and test your DFS medal. (laughs) Yeah, thanks to Brett for setting all of that up. Okay, like I said, before we end the show, let's do a quick lightning round, Brian. I've got a few guys I wanted to mention. I'm sure you do as well. So let's just go back and forth. I'd like to start by talking about Brendan Gallagher over on the Montreal Canadiens. And I feel like a lot of people talk about Alex Galchenyuk as one of the top guys to own there after Pacioretty and Subban and maybe Placanitz. But Gallagher, actually, if you take a look at his deployment, it's Gallagher on the top line playing with Placanitz and Pacioretty while Galchenyuk is on the second line with much lower guys. We're talking about guys like Lars Eller and maybe Alex Semin, who I should probably get to in the lightning round as well. Plus Gallagher's on the top power play while Galchenyuk's on the second power play. And Gallagher has twice as many shots so far. So they both have a goal and four assists, but Gallagher has taken 20 shots while Galchenyuk has taken 10. So if you're in a league where you own Galchenyuk and Gallagher is available, that would be a pretty shallow league because Gallagher shouldn't be available. I just wanted to point out this Brendan Gallagher guy is pretty legit. He's in a great situation and he takes a ton of shots. I like what I'm seeing. Yeah, we have flagged him before as somebody who is great at putting up shots and will like get some points just as collateral from playing on a top line with Placanitz and Pacioretty. So you're right, Elon. He is a pretty good guy to own. Definitely like a more valuable peripheral guy than Galchenyuk because if Galchenyuk isn't scoring, he's only taking like a couple shots per game. I would say he's in a tight battle to be the third most wanted Habs forward in fantasy. And also, I should add, while we're talking about the Habs, that I have bitten the bullet on Alex Semin. I mentioned earlier the show that I picked up Laterra. I dropped Semin to do it. 
And then he went and had a season high three shots on goal last night. <gasps> oh boy. Everyone grab seven again. It's time. He's heating up. So just eight shots on goal, though, in six games played. Two assists. They both came in the second game of the season against Tuka Rask in Boston. So what's that even worth? <laughs> anyway, I'm just, I'm being transparent. I am starting to get a little bit down on Alex Semin, wondering if he will ever return to form. Still think he's watchless, though. Not me. Not on my watch list. I'll talk about another first line player, Elon, who I don't know if he's the third piece of the line or if there's like three third pieces of the line or three second pieces of the line. I don't know. But that top line in Ottawa has been insane to start the year. They are clicking. If you watch them with the puck, they are making gorgeous passes, gorgeous plays to set up goals. Everything seems to be working in their favor. It's shades of MacArthur Ryan Turris from a couple years ago. But this year... It's Tourist, Stone, and Hoffman. And a lot of people have forgotten in all the excitement about Mark Stone that Mike Hoffman is the guy who led the Senators in goals last season, even though he was given so many fewer opportunities to score them. But he still managed to do it, and he is keeping it up this year. He has seven points in six games so far with three goals, four assists, 18 shots on goal. And impressive as it was last year, every single point has come at even strength. That seems to be a thing of his, and that's a really good sign going forward to think that he can sustain production even if he isn't getting prime power play minutes, which actually he is doing better in that category so far this season. He's seeing over 18 minutes of ice time a game. He's one-third of one of the top lines in the entire NHL to start the season, and he does not belong on your free agent list. I actually dropped in a fairly shallow league that I'm in. I dropped Jason Palmenville to add Mike Hoffman. I suggest you take a look at your roster and see if there's anybody you can drop for him because I don't think this is just a flash in the pen. Might not produce at this pace all year long, but he will produce consistently, and he does have that goal-scoring touch that adds a little bit of extra value to any guy who's currently in free agency. Mike Hoffman. Brian, I don't think anyone has forgotten that Mike Hoffman led the Sens in goals last year because you brought it up last week in the <laughs> lightning round when you talked about Mike Hoffman. I just love Mike Hoffman. Okay, well, hopefully next week we could maybe talk about some other player on the Senators or on another team. But okay, let me go to my next lightning round guy. I want to talk about Chris Versteeg. He got moved from Chicago to Carolina during the offseason. And I remember when we talked about it on the show, we pretty much just talked about what was the effect on Chicago and, oh, would this be good for Tara Vinen or for Panarin or for whoever for Marco Dano. And we then we were just like, oh, and by the way, I guess Chris Versteeg, he'll probably do okay on Carolina. But I want to point out that Versteeg is playing on the top line with Eric Stahl, and he's on the top power play. And of course, aside from Eric Stahl, maybe the talent isn't so high over there. Jeff Skinner's pretty decent. But yeah, Versteeg has been an important part of the offense in Carolina. And a couple of games ago against Detroit, he notched a goal and two assists with one of those points being on the power play. So not saying Versteeg is a must add for sure, but in a deep league, this is a guy who is contributing and is in an important role in Carolina. So there's worse guys to have on your roster or to be watching than Chris Versteeg at this point. And as a guy who loves to bring up the same players two weeks in a row, I'm just oh, going to no. remind everybody that Eric Stahl is still doing stuff. He had a three-point night after we recorded the last episode. So if you have a choice between like a Carolina Hurricane, Elon, I'm not assuming this is what you meant, but I would take Stahl <laughs> <laughs> over Versteeg, right? We're good. We're good with that. Brian, 
Don't insult my intelligence. I was saying Verstegh is good because he plays with Stahl. <laughs> okay, okay. And then Jeff Skinner actually might just be worth mentioning. Just briefly, he has points in consecutive games, which is like a small victory for him. The weird thing is that it happened in two games where he only had one shot on goal, which is really uncharacteristic. Last year... We saw him as somebody who took a ton of shots, but rarely scored or got points. Now he's getting points, but not taking a lot of shots. And it's only two points in five games so far. So temper your expectations. But hey, I'm already enjoying the way Carolina looks this year more than they did last year. So Skinner has 12 shots on goal this season. Elon, do you know another player in the league who has 12 shots on goal? What a stupid question. Yeah, there's probably a ton of them. (laughs) But Nail Yakupov is one of them. And he also is doing all right in the last three games. He's on a line with Connor McDavid and Benoit Pouliot. He's still not seeing a ton of power play time, but finally, I don't know, sort of looking good. He has three points in his last three games and nine shots on goal to go with that. So it looks like he's actually making his case to be in the Oilers' top six. They used to like to bounce him around, put him on the third line a lot. He's staying on the top six line for sustained time for the first time in like, a while and it actually looks like it could continue. So keep an eye out for Nail Yakupov's production over the next week or two. Yeah, nice to see Yakupov getting some points. Of course, when Everly comes back, everything will be thrown into flux again, just like we keep saying about Detroit and Pavel Datsyuk. Also, by the way, since we're talking about Edmonton, Taylor Hall, two goals and two assists in his last two games, and he's taken 10 shots in that pace. So Hall might just be back to that star form that we were hoping for last year. But that's not my guy. I'm not using up my turn on Taylor Hall. My next lightning round guy, I want to talk about Ian Cole on Pittsburgh. And I said at the top of the show that I wanted to mention one more guy on Pittsburgh. And this is the guy I want to mention. And you might be like, who the heck is Ian Cole? Why is Elon mentioning him? Well, I'll tell you, he's been averaging over 20 minutes a game on the Pittsburgh blue line in the top pairing with Chris Letang, which isn't so bad for someone who I hadn't heard of before a couple of weeks ago. He's also even been getting some power play time on the second unit. Of course, that second unit is so much worse than the first unit, but still worth mentioning. And the thing that put it over the top for me and made me want to mention him is if your league counts blocks... Ian Cole has four blocks and five blocks in his last couple of games and 18 overall on the year. So if you are of the belief that the Pittsburgh Penguins are going to learn to start scoring goals, which I know Brian said at the top of the show he thinks it's going to happen, there's a good chance Ian Cole will be on the ice and have a chance to get assists on these goals. And he's going to give you some blocks. So in a deep league, if you need a defenseman and if blocks are counted, I think you could be potentially very smart to grab Ian Cole. Yeah, I'm not sure if he's there so much on merit as he is as, like, one of the more experienced NHLers on that blue line right now. And it's sort of like a balancing act to figure out who slots in where. It's not necessarily because he's the best player he's on the top pairing. It's just that maybe gives them the best balance and they're still shifting it around. But that's a good look, Elon, to see that he was up there. Now, if your concern is that Ian Cole might be playing away from Chris Letang, I would totally understand that. That could happen in the near future. There was a player on Long Island who we were concerned similarly about. Kyle Posa being pulled away from John Tavares, being placed on that second line. We were not sure how that was going to pan out. We had a lot of people fretting, both on Twitter and in the Facebook group, about what this means for him. Should I drop him? Should I get rid of him? But there are signs of life from Kyle Poso still on that second line. He's got six points in his last three games, including a five-shot night last night against San Jose. He's got six points in five games now. The first two games are pointless, which I think made a lot of people more nervous than they might have been at the start. And keep in mind, he's still on that first power play unit, and only one of those last six points has come 
on that power play unit. So he's making things happen at even strength and actually scored a very pretty goal to pick up one of the three points that he did last night. So everything's okay with Kyle Lukposo. Yeah, I don't know. It's like bittersweet. Like to me, it's like kind of good news, bad news for Kyle Lukposo. Because on one hand, he's getting lots of points, which is great. And I drafted Kyle Lukposo in the cupful to keep Carlson Ultimate Patron Fantasy League. So I was obviously watching him closely and I was disappointed when he was bounced off that first line. And now he's putting up points, which is great. And he's helping me win my matchup. But on the other hand, if he's able to put up all these points while on the second line, why would they bring him back onto the first line? So I guess maybe he will be away from Tavares for a while. But like you say, still nice to have him on the top power play there and definitely a guy worth owning. If anyone was considering dropping Acapulco, that definitely shouldn't have been the option. And it looks like he should be able to settle in and be at least like a 60-point guy, even if he's not playing with Tavares. Of course, he was potentially like a 70-plus guy with Tavares, almost a point-per-game guy. Maybe he won't be there, but definitely like what I'm seeing so far. And okay, now I've got my final lightning round player. Maybe another deep guy, maybe not. I want to mention Sam Reinhardt on the Buffalo Sabres. And he's a rookie and hadn't made much of an impact so far in the season. In his first four games, he couldn't get over 12 and a half minutes of ice time. Obviously didn't get any points. Actually, scratch that. He did get one assist against Tampa Bay. But then news came out that he was going to be joining the top six for Buffalo's game against Tampa Bay yesterday, playing on a line with Ryan O'Reilly and Tyler Ennis, not too shabby as line mates. And then right at the start of the game, Sam Reinhardt scored a goal, assisted by Tyler Ennis. So a new role for Sam Reinhardt. On a nice line, he got a goal yesterday. He played 15 minutes and 43 seconds, which is a big bump from what he was getting before. He took three shots on goal. So maybe this is a guy to start putting on your watch list and getting on your radar. Of course, Buffalo lost that game to Tampa Bay, only scored one goal. So I don't know what that says about his long-term prospects of staying there. But like I said, he scored the goal. So he should probably stay there a little bit longer. And of course, while this is good news for Sam Reinhardt, bad news for Zemgis Gergensens, and maybe for Matt Molson, who are now both on the third line with Marcus Foligno, while you've got Eichel, Kane, and Gianta as the second line. And like I said, Reinhardt, O'Reilly, and Ennis as the first line. Definitely Molson and Gergensens at the short end of the stick, guys that we thought maybe would benefit from playing with those good players that were coming into Buffalo. Right now, it's Reinhardt and Gianta benefiting from playing with those guys. Like Eichel, Sam Reinhardt was a second overall pick just the year before this one in 2014, quickly forgotten because I guess he was sent back to the WHL after a nine-game tryout in the NHL. They were wise not to burn up one of his entry-level years and save him for this year. And he could be like someone, you know, there's not a lot of room to hide if you're in Buffalo's lineup, but there's enough distraction coming from Eichel and O'Reilly and Kane that maybe Sam Reinhardt can sneak in there and put up, you know, a decent amount of points and set the table for a decent run of fantasy years to come. Okay. And now for the cherry on top to reward everybody for listening right to the end of the show. Our final lightning round player is Nazem Kadri, who I teased last week. I think I mumbled his name really quickly right before the credits of the show rolled. But I just want to point out that your league leader in the NHL in shots on goal at this point of the season is Nazem Kadri. And I don't think a lot of people realize this. He is shooting the puck every chance he can, and he's getting a ton of his attempts on target. He has 27 shots on goal in five games played so far, and it's not even a function of just having played the most games. In fact, he's ahead of several guys who have played an extra game than him, and he's way ahead of the ones who have played one game less. He's only got one goal to show for all those shots, but could easily have had three or four by now. In deep leagues or deep-ish leagues, he should be on a roster, so make it yours if you have the chance. 
Yeah, now especially with Tyler Bozak injured for a little bit. Not that there was any question before, but Kadri is the top center on Toronto. For whatever that's worth, you know, Toronto hasn't been so, so bad at scoring goals. Not as bad as maybe we thought they would be. They lost 2-1 to one against Pittsburgh, so that wasn't great. Scored 6 against Columbus, but like we've said, maybe that wasn't so special. Scored 4 against Ottawa, so I don't know. Maybe there's some offense there, and I assume that Nazem Kadri will be right in the center of it. Obviously, top line, top power play, no question. If he's taking all these shots, he's going to get a lot of goals and just help you in the shots category. Great pick, Brian. And with that, let's start transitioning to the end of the show no we that was transitioning now we're actually at the end of the show so thank you everyone so much for listening this is likely going to be another really long one not so much looking forward to the edit but it's going to be worth it to put out this great episode hopefully if you want to be in touch with us you can follow us on twitter at keeping carlson we answer fantasy questions on twitter all the time basically my whole life is on facebook and twitter roto world and like ESPN and Yahoo Fantasy Hockey, and Dauber Hockey, of course. If it wasn't for the patrons of Keeping Carlson, I'd have to say my wife wouldn't let me be doing this because I'm spending way too much time on this. But it's so fun, and of course we're getting some support, which is great. But yeah, tweet at us with your fantasy hockey questions at Keeping Carlson. We'll try our best to help you. Also, you could do us a favor, leave us a five-star review on iTunes. That would be amazing if you appreciate the show. We already told you about how you can become a patron, keepingcarlson.com slash patron. And again, reminder, patron cast on Tuesday. Very excited for that. Before I cue the outro music, I want to say that we have a special treat for you guys because patron Matt Donlevy wrote a song for us to play on the show today. A parody of the song Stay With Me by Sam Smith. Oh yeah, I know that one. (laughs) And he called it Trade With Me and it's all about the perils of trying to get people to trade with you in fantasy hockey. It's really great. I think you guys are going to enjoy it. So with that, let's cue the outro music. Brian reads the credits. Then I'm going to say goodbye. Then Brian's going to say his catchphrase. Then I'm going to play the song by Matt. So thanks, everyone, for listening. Brian, read us the credits. This episode was presented by Dauber Hockey and supported by our patrons. It was researched with help from Dauber Hockey, War on Ice, Hockey Analysis, Hockey DB, Yahoo Sports, and ESPN Fantasy Hockey. Also, thanks to Matt for the song. You can find his SoundCloud page listed in our show notes for this episode. Until next time, enjoy the song and keep on keeping Carl's song. Bye, everyone. Guess it's true that my picks in the draft were bad Not my fault, best I got was some guy named Lad Need some help but I don't know what I can do When I have all the Oilers instead of Giroux Won't you trade with me Cause I want Crosby Don't want Scrivens or Stastny Why won't you trade with me? Why am I 20 points behind or more? Is it because you dress Nyquist and I dress Steve Moore? My lack of knowledge has begun to show 
Who else would drop Spencer to pick up more than no? Oh, won't you trade with me? I don't want Trevor Daly. Maybe Tavares for Steve Downey. Why won't you trade with me? Oh, she. Oh, Riley. Oh, Vetchkin. Oh, trade with me. Please, someone trade with me. Cause I'm on my knees I never thought I'd be bottom three In fantasy hockey Oh, won't you trade with me Longer for Duncan Maybe stamp calls for Crosby Just someone